Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. I kind of wanted to, uh, to apologize to Roy Hodgson. What, on behalf, I mean, I, of, on behalf of Tony Evans? No, I just... I, well, no, but I was discourteous to him in the last pod. Were you? Yeah, because I made a thing out of how, like, he claims to speak all the Scandinavian languages, whereas, in fact, he just speaks, like, a weird mashup of the three. And, I mean, the, which is true, he kind of does, but I don't think he's claimed to speak all three of them. I think it has been claimed of him. Right. And I think it's an important distinction. Like, right. like the know. one thing is being a braggart, and the other thing is... Sure. Speaking, uh, uh, he'd make an excellent character in the bridge. (laughs) (laughs) If I were to ask you, chaps, from uh, the week's Champions League action, what was your favorite part of VAR inspired stoppage time? Would it have been the nine minutes at the end of Leipzig versus Benfica Mm. or the seven minutes? At the end of Valencia versus Chelsea, Lars. I mean, I don't have a great preference between them, but I did enjoy uh, Daniel Vass getting one for for Valencia, even if it yeah. was sort of a, a slightly shanked cross. Probably. What are you saying? What well, are you saying? I, I, I enjoyed it because Daniel Vass has actually uh, played when he was young. He was sent on loan from Brunby to a team that was struggling in the relegation battle in the Norwegian top division. Mm. And then they immediately had a change of manager who just decided they didn't want attacking fullbacks. And uh, so he, he was bombed out. He was He's a guy who's uh, been thrown, basically thrown on the bench and completely just failed at a pretty bad team. Uh, well, at the time, Felixstein in Norway. I thought you were going to say think, that changed his ways. Of, of it didn't people, change his ways. A lot of people who have been poor in the Norwegian top division relegation battle, I think he's probably gone the furthest afterwards. Nice. Was your not reaction to that goal, Vasis Das? because I think Kepa was asking himself that because he thought ah it's going over he should have tipped it over and he just was like "Ah, it's it's not going in is it it is in the stoppage time itself despite Leipzig turning things around in in, in their stoppage time and making the most of it and getting the point that that took them through I was a big fan of uh, what was it in the sixth minute of stoppage time in Valencia (laughs) Chelsea that that miss by Rodrigo that oh. was that was pretty well, special. The misses all round by Valencia over that night were just incredible. Not just Danny Padejo's penalty miss; he becomes the all-time missiest penalty taker in Champions is League that history. Right? Which is weird because he's well. usually what, what, very, in a, in a, like, in a, in a domestically single, he scored a bunch of them, right? No, he, in, in his in a Champions single season League, in, or in, in his Champions League career. In his Champions League career, is yeah. that right? Yeah. Does that include his time with QPR? I think he's missed <laughs> QPR in the Champions League. Can well, you imagine? They were going for it. I, yeah. I remember interviewing Julio Cesar okay. these years back. And, uh, Lovely guy. It, it, really nice. Uh, uh, I remember him uh, sitting there in their, their training ground in, in Harlington going, yeah, I, I uh, signed here because uh, the project was to uh, get in the Champions League. And the bottom of the table at the, the, the time under Mark Hughes. He's like, yeah, Mark Hughes is a bit quiet. <laughs> yeah, well, I mean, he yeah, had yeah, just had what uh, Joseph Joseph Mourinho for a, for a long spell, like I, two years. I suppose so. 
I suppose so. Because it's such a rabbit hole you've gone down here, Andy. Yeah, yeah. Of the Champions League, you've asked us our favourite VAR moments, and now we're talking about QPR. I'm delighted that I, I mean, managed to, to turn it into the, Norwegian, for the, the Norwegian relegation battle yeah. of 2009, which was the vintage year for that sort of thing. Mm. I mean, Daniel Vass, I love this. I, I need to quote this because he said later that the manager who, who benched him, who didn't fancy him, said that he, and I quote, it was, a shit person and an idiot, which I think... <laughs> As far as comments about your former managers go, it's pretty good. But, but pretty he ambiguous. He doesn't. Yeah. He doesn't even deserve a mention. I think that's quite <laughs> fitting in the week of uh, Gary Monk uh, getting his honesty on. But yeah, let's go back to um, the main bit of the Champions League. Let's look at Liverpool versus Napoli. I know you were looking at that very closely on the BT Goal Show last night, uh, James. Um, how did Napoli play like this in the Champions League and not domestically? <laughs> well, I do think that. In some respects, Napoli are Liverpool's kryptonite because, yeah, they keep playing against them. They invariably beat them. Um, you know, as we saw at the San Paolo last season, San Paolo this season, in pre-season. Um, I suppose what was surprising about this, I didn't know what Napoli was going to turn up um, because of everything that's happened in the last fortnight um, with the, the mutiny, the players getting fined, all the speculation about Carlo Ancelotti's future the players' future, whether there'll be a fire sale in January. I mean, that just doesn't make any sense. I mean, <laughs> I mean, come on, sell your best players. Um, That'll show them. At, at, <laughs> at a low price and then, you know, completely just tank your way out of the Champions League, which they're already, what, five points, I think, outside the Champions League places in, in City A anyway. I mean, it's just ludicrous. Um, but I think this, again, just goes to show what a great manager Carlo Ancelotti is, um, who is, you know, a captain, of the ship in a storm and is able to kind of um, focus his players' minds, get rid of all the kind of distractions. I thought it was really interesting hearing him talk before the game itself, actually, because he was asked, you know, come on, Carlo, this has been a, probably the most difficult set of circumstances you've ever faced as a manager. Um, you know, you've got uh, players at war with the club, the president at war with, um, you know, your senior guys, Alan, Insigne, and all this sort of thing. Where's Insigne? He hasn't come with you. Um, and... <laughs> Instead, he just said, no, actually, you know, there's a, there's a real restored sense of harmony here. Um, real serenity. We all get on great. Dressing room's brilliant, really healthy. Um, so, yeah, I think all this media speculation, yeah, I think you should, you know, just yeah, stop speculating about stuff, really. You know, just get, we're just going to get on with it. And I think he got the mood just right. And I think his tactics were also spot on. Um, you know, is the, in some respects, we've seen Napoli often play with, um, you know, kind of, three centre-backs, but it's usually very much geared towards um, one of the one of the full-backs pushing up and playing as a, as a winger and really kind of overloading on that side. Um, this time, it was really, it was pure three centre-backs. Because Maksimovic came in, didn't mm. he? Maksimovic, Manolas and uh, Kalidou Koulibaly. And then it was it was two proper, proper wing-back full-backs in Mario Rui, who is who has got an attacking, uh, more attacking sense than Giovanni Di Lorenzo on the other side. But it was all geared towards basically saying, you can have the ball, we'll control the space. Um, we're not going to give you any kind of space in behind. We're not going to allow you to get any kind of speed in your game. And I think it really frustrated um, Liverpool. And uh, a colleague of mine in Italy posted a photo of like Klopp's, Klopp's face during, remember his first game with Dortmund at the San Paolo where... Yeah. He absolutely went loopy at the fourth official and ended up going to have to watch the game with a janitor and then his face <laughs> during this game, um, which I think the refereeing in this game was, I think, uh, 
both the crowd felt that uh, he let a lot of things go. Mm. Um, Napoli felt he let a lot of things go. Liverpool felt he let a lot of things go. Um, but yeah, I mean, it was. I think it was not surprising in in the the recent series of games that Napoli have had against Liverpool because they've shown they can beat them. But it was uh, surprising in the in the set of circumstances in which they went into this game. And you know, this is where we think of Ancelotti doing his his, his best work, really, isn't it? In a, in a Champions League context, um, I mean, for me, one of the most shocking Champions League knockout games of recent years is when he was the Bayern coach. And they played Real Madrid. It was a game I went to at the Allianz Arena. And they're 1-0 up, totally on top of things. Then they missed a penalty and got taken apart by um, Cristiano Ronaldo and Marco Asensio, either side of the break. And that the feeling in the ground that night was, it's hard to describe because you feel like you're on top of the world. You feel like you're battering Real Madrid and it all falls apart in 10 minutes. And Ancelotti had no response. I was shocked by that mm. because, you know, you do see him as someone who's got this mastery in the Champions League and an enduring mastery in the Champions League. And he's definitely given Napoli an edge. They were very, very unlucky not to get through what was a difficult group last season. They were the yeah. best team in it, five games in mm. and lost to Anfield on the last game. That knocked them out of the top two. Um, Barring accidents, they're going to get in in the knockout rounds this year. Yeah, is this a way of them salvaging their season? And what well, a part B to that question, I suppose, is how can Ancelotti take the good feeling from the Champions League back to Serie A and start to sort things out there? So, at the start of every Champions League season, I always think we have to ask ourselves who can be the dark horse because there's usually a gate crasher into the mm. semi-finals and I think that's what still makes the competition so you just back whoever's got Fernando Llorente <laughs> <laughs> and I do look at Napoli now and you know everyone's kind of been writing them off but if you look just look at the sample size you just look at their Champions League form alone it's hard not to be impressed by it mm. um, you have four points from six against Liverpool how they played in both of those games. Um, late win in Salzburg. The late win at Salzburg in what was a thrilling game um, there as well. And we've all seen how difficult an opponent Salzburg are. Um, and I think you know, the only disappointing game was the the nil-nil in, in, in Genk, which you know, had they won that, had Milik taken his chances, Milik still out of sorts at that time, you know, they would already be qualified. Mm. Um, but I think... Is this team capable of putting everything that's happened behind them and moving on? I'm still curious because um, after the game last night, for example, Mertens is walking through the mix zone. He's asked, you know, can you stop and talk? He says, no, I can't talk. And then he makes a gesture, which is like, I'll get fined again. <laughs> right. <laughs> because I think the players were disappointed that these legal letters came through before this game basically saying, yeah, it's the club's intention to dock you 25% of your wages for October for what happened after the Salzburg game. <laughs> and on Friday, there will be talks between uh, the president, De Laurentiis, and the players. And De Laurentiis... Are the players' union getting involved? Well, I, I think they can, they can appeal and talk to the players' union in Italy, which is represented by Damiano Tomasi, yeah. former QPR midfield player. <laughs> let's, let's bring it full circle. <laughs> um, and, of course, they can then decide whether to go to tribunal or not, mm. um, which would be... More damaging situation. But, Remarkable. But I, th I thought it was interesting that Tomasi specified that the decision to go on a retire or not is a technical one that lies with the manager. 
given that Ancelotti did utter some uh, some scepticism to the whole idea. Well, Ancelotti disapproved of the club's decision to go into uh, retiro, constructive detention, essentially. <laughs> um, but you know, he then honoured um, the club's word because he turned up. Because mm. he turned up and he mm. said, "Right, I'm going to go and do this. Are you coming with me?" And the players said, "No." And I think that was one of the things that was really surprising. Um, that you know, come the end of the international break, Carlo Ancelotti hasn't resigned, and he said. Um, last night um, that he never considered resigning that he's never resigned in his 30 year coaching career okay. it's just not mm. part of his his makeup um, but I think there's still a real uh, chance that this spirals and it drifts um, because I think there's very little margin for error I mean if you look at what Napoli's kind of um, uh, in terms of how they're playing in Serie A they're still creating chances Um they're not taking them in the way that they were last season. The problem is that the the teams that they were doing better than last season, they've come on leaps and bounds. They've yeah. improved. And so any kind of stagnation from Napoli um, is is going to be uh, costly. They'll lose ground to the likes of Lazio, even mm. Atalanta um, and Roma, for example. They're who, starting to look the part, aren't they? So And, and, and they've been shown up by Cagliari um, mm. uh, as well. So I think the ones that will can go the distance are very much Roma, Atalanta and Lazio. So they have to sort this out quickly. So there are two other teams in this group. James briefly mentioned Salzburg and your man Erling Braut Haaland, <laughs> even when they leave him on the bench, are you Norwegian? Unstoppable. Stay out of the headlines. <laughs> Unstoppable. Yeah. And um, I mean, it's not the most important goal he'll score for them, but I mean, scoring in all his five first match days is a is a historic achievement. And, yeah, it uh, is. It, it's quite something, and for me, it's again, it, it's distressing that already at this stage of his career, we're kind of almost running out of things to say about him. He is quite extraordinary. Um, I, I think again, the thing that he's not phased by anything. Uh, you can throw him off the deep end in almost any setting. You know, when he played at Anfield, he'd been ill uh, leading yeah. up to the game and was physically not right at all. And he still come on, came on and scored a goal at Anfield. Uh, he just seems to be completely fearless and take everything in his stride. Everyone who's worked with him says he's really down to earth, really hardworking, uh, which is which is really positive. And much has been made of him being a bit surly. But again, it's, yeah, the fact that he doesn't seem to relish the limelight, I don't think is a bad thing. So very, very exciting. And inevitably, there'll be a lot of talk about his future already. Um, and it's very, very tempting now when there's this much hype. And I'm sure that will be tempting to to maybe try to, to cash in on that and, and go to one of the very top clubs. But I, just, I keep thinking, would be such a sensible move to move on to RB Leipzig yeah. in the summer with with the possibility of them letting Timo Werner go somewhere and him going into to be uh, their their new sort of big number nine there. Well, not that Timo Werner is a big number nine, but you know they're they're attacking big football. name number nine. Yeah, yeah. And, well, think uh, think how many you, goals he would have scored in nine minutes of injury time. Yeah, well, indeed. But also <laughs> just because Leipzig, because they don't have. I mean, we we accuse some teams of not having history. I mean, Leipzig really don't have any history, uh, and they don't have a lot. They're not a very glamorous club. But so so it's easy to think of that as not being the big move mm. but for him you would be going from the Austrian league to a club that sees themselves as a potential Bundesliga contender as a, as a team that yeah. wants to fight in the top of the Bundesliga so you'll be steady, it's a significant step up in terms of sporting quality you you go to a club where 
uh, a lot a lot of the style of play is roughly the same you know the methodology is not completely different there will be more pressure but not the kind of insane crazy pressure that'll get lumped on your head if you're signed by like 80 million by Man United or something like this yeah. so it just seems like a really sensible move so it's, it'll be um, interesting to see we hasn't we sh- we, have, we shouldn't lose track of the fact that he scored in every one of his Champions League appearances so far and he has he has the opportunity as does Robert Lewandowski to become only the second and third players to score in every single group stage game and the, the only person to do that so far was Cristiano Ronaldo yep. he's a teenager he's extraordinary and he's in a tough group with Liverpool and Napoli but you yes. talk Lars about like him having to make the right choice next I mean becoming a great player it isn't just about um, the ability and even what you put in it's about making the right choices at the right points during your career I mean clearly He's made a fantastic choice in in going to Salzburg. You talked about there being real no real history at, at Leipzig. What they do have is a recent history of really looking after young players and helping them develop. Yeah, absolutely. And I think the the fact that he went to Salzburg is a sort of case in point about how he's got good people around him. He's got his father is, is a very sensible guy. Um, and uh, I mean, they did have an offer offer from Juventus, for instance, and there were other clubs here where he could have gone, but they figured Salzburg was a good place for him to be for his development. And has it all happened a little quicker than they expected? Though? For sure, I, I think it's quicker than anyone. I don't think anyone's surprised that he's kicked on and been very good, but I don't think a lot of people would have seen this good and good phenomenal success yeah. coming. I mean, my mind has slightly been blown last night by the number of kind of goals that were allowed and then disallowed. His first one that got chalked off. Yeah, yeah, yeah. What the hell? I have no idea. Because that is great centre-forward play. I mean, he just, he essentially backs into the the defender to almost help set himself to score the goal. But it's it's a contact sport. It's completely... The guy was trying to foul him. Yeah. I mean... It's ridiculous. And it was a great, it was a great... I thought it was a brilliant piece of number nine play. For it's, it's the one where you wonder if there was like a different foul in the build-up or something because that seemed very odd that that would have been given against them. But. Lars, what, did, what have you made of Salzburg overall in the Champions League? I mean, they've been chomping at the bit for so long to get in it. They're finally here and they've contributed a lot. I mean, can you can you yeah. see that, that uh, they've, they've, they've had good experience from the Europa League where obviously they've done very well in recent years? Yeah, which is the thing we've almost not spoken about because it's all been about uh, Erling Bad Holland, which I don't mind at all, obviously. Yeah. But... After having been a team that for years and years and years just kept finding new and more interesting ways of not getting to the group stage, uh, they, 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 there's no secret that they're a team that are set up to, to compete at that level, that that's been the aim for a very long time. And now that they've finally made it, it is good to see that they, they've made such a good fist of it and contributed. I know because of their association with the fizzy drink empire, there are people who are not, who feel like it's a bit of a soulless enterprise. And, and then Energy the, drink's uh, very on brand for you though, cult- isn't it? Culturally, maybe it is not. Great, but... <laughs> But in footballing terms, there's a really interesting project in the way they find young players from across the world and play really high-tempo, exciting football. So I don't think they're a positive addition to the scene. I've been seeing a meatwalk. Which match of that I can speak meatwalk? I can speak Mehmet, or I can speak Balder, or I can speak Trapattoni. Inter. Inter. <laughs> good week for Inter. Hashtag not for everyone. <laughs> very good, Lars. <laughs> very on brand. Uh-huh. <laughs> Impressed. <laughs> Yeah, no, I mean, what a way to finish that game. Final quarter of an hour, it looked like they were making kind of... Well, I wouldn't say they were making heavy weather of it, but... Um, well, Slavia are a, a difficult opponent, yeah, as they proved in every game. Slavia have been difficult, um, but, you know, I think uh, Conte said that, God, oh, we hit the bar twice, we had two goals disallowed, 
you know, the, the, these sort of things can kill an elephant. So it won't kill my players. <laughs> and um, I mean, I think it was the the quality of the goals that were, well, the ones that stood and the ones that were disallowed as well were just um, magnificent. I mean, I think one of the goals of the uh, the match day has to be the... the and it, Lautaro Volley. The Lautaro Volley, but of course the Lukaku outside the foot, left foot assist yeah. um, is is magnificent. Well, it was something you pointed out on um, BT last night. Mm. Uh, as far as actual strike partnerships go, and of course a lot of teams out there don't go with two up top. How many are there better than that at the moment? I don't think there are many um, because both of these guys invariably score um, in in the same game. You know, Lukaku will get one, Lautaro will get the other. They'll set each other up mm. um, and they have become like a two-man offense in, 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 in the way that last night it was quite interesting because, you know, Conte who is, you know, cried essentially over oh my god you know my team have broken the transfer record for me twice and they've not backed me um, and all this sort of thing and he's like we only signed players from Sassuolo and Cagliari how can we possibly compete and then last night they're without Barella who they signed from Cagliari mm. who was the first guy they broke the transfer record for and then Sensi who for the first six weeks of the season was the best player in Serie A and, and everyone was like oh no yeah, this is this is not going to go well for him. This is a bad time to to be missing these guys, and instead it was no problem. You know, that yeah, Lautaro and, and Lukaku took care of business. Borja Valero, who'd only played a minute until the weekend, um, and then came on and played um, the second half against Torino after after Barella's injury, he played a very mature kind of experienced, kind of level-headed performance, which mm. you need, I think, in those kind of uh, nights when things don't look to be going against you. I mean, Conte against it. It was cursed. The game was cursed. Well, yeah, we've got to go Lukaku's back. Lukaku's and... header against the bar. Brozovic's shot against the bar. It was all going against us. And we've got to go back and say there was the bit where they thought they were 2 nil up and ended up giving, getting a penalty given oh, against them. Oh, my word, yeah. And it was 1-1. Yeah, extraordinary. And yeah. They, they could have felt at that point it's all going wrong for us again. Yeah. I mean, this, this was also, I, I think, um, back to the game against Sampdoria where Alexis... Um, was playing mm. and um, Alexis um, if I'm not mistaken had scored um, and um, at the start of the second half he goes down in the penalty area and you think oh they've got a penalty um, yeah they're about to double their lead game's dead and instead Alexis gets sent off for diving <laughs> and then Samp go up the other end and score and all of a sudden it's game on again but mm. into over the uh, lasted the distance and ended up winning the game, and it was a, a little bit similar like that. It's, it's not, I, I would say, necessarily that the team hasn't faced things like that, but it just goes to show that this group, which is quite a new group of players, um, really um, has so quickly assimilated um, Conte's not only his ideas but his mentality, mm. um, and you know, are doing some extraordinary stuff. I mean, I think they deserve more than that they've got in the group so far given how well they played away at Barcelona, how well they played in the first half away at Dortmund. They've got the better of Dortmund on head-to-head, um, who they're level on points with um, at the moment. And, you know, ordinarily you would think um, into having Barcelona in their final match day, 
it's like, oh no, that's terrible. But I think they're looking forward to it. I think they believe on the back of what they did at the Camp Nou that they can beat Barcelona. Is it more comfy playing a game against Barcelona, even an already qualified Barcelona, than it is being expected to win against PSV as they were in match day six last year? For, <laughs> well, for example. Yeah, and had they beaten PSV last year, they would have gone through. Like, I mean, there's, there's a sense of gala to it, isn't, isn't there? Yeah. You know, it's, it's a big game. Even if Barcelona have already qualified, it's a big deal. Yeah, no, without doubt. And I, I think they can't take for granted the fact that Barcelona will rotate and roll over in this game because the number of times um, I've seen either Roma play against Barcelona when they've already been qualified mm. on you know match day six and all this sort of thing or or some an Italian team need Barcelona basically to you know, sort of down tools and say you know we've got a big game at the weekend so we're not going to compete in this game and they always Messi invariably has a moment and they've won the game well, and Val- that's the thing Valverde can't afford to do that anyway they, mm. they, they can't afford to go away and be shit because he'll he'll get a stick for it. Lars, yeah. um, wh- what do we make of Antonio Conte in the Champions <laughs> League? Because you spoke to people around him, to journalists who follow them, fans, going back to, I don't know, September. And a lot of them had the feeling that, well, they're not really going to go hell for leather in the Champions League, even though for most people, if they want to have a go at Antonio Conte, they'll look at his record in, 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 the, in the Champions Which, League yeah. but, but actually despite being clearly fully invested in the title race in Serie A they've gone for it in every game no, in I mean, the there's League. always been a bit of a paradox there no because yeah that's true his record in Champions League isn't great but if you look at how his teams play they should be quite well suited for knockout competition right they're really well drilled everyone in a Conte team will know what they're meant to be doing and he likes guys who are good soldiers who'll do their jobs and run around and like that that, that tends to serve you well in sort of two-legged knockout ties which is of course uh, where it all is I think I think they kind of had to they had to get out they had to the fact they got such a difficult group that you end up with both Barcelona and Dortmund and that you end up with the Slavia Prague team there are no pushovers means that you are kind of forced into a situation where you do have to take it very seriously because going out of the group stage is quite bad both in terms of prestige and in terms of the finances and from mm. Inter's point of view that's getting through is, is quite important but if they can actually keep the pace Well with, it's important insofar as Conte keeps demanding that they spend money Yeah, no, so, yeah uh, they have they, they're already The club's in very already, sound financial uh, they footing are, but there's, on, they're they're on some like, financial footing, but there's the FFP thing. I mean, Suning might have a lot of money, but they can't just throw it at the club. Like you're mm. literally not allowed to do that. So uh, it is important that they keep, you know, do that they do well in the competition. And actually, I think it's a little bit undercommunicated. There is a big difference financially between you know, going out of the group stage and 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 go, uh, pushing on to the knockouts. Oh, like I mean, this is why a lot of extra bonuses from have got there. themselves into the financial position that they're in is because it, it's Italian. The other Italian teams the keep other, going out. The other Italian teams either don't get out of the group stages or only one of them does and we're going into match day six with the real possibility that four of them will because even Atalanta could do a Newcastle yeah. and qualify even though they it's lost, what we all their, aspire to. lost their first three three games yeah. so um, and without Shola Miobi yeah. <laughs> just makes it all sweeter but you, you, you say we've been talking about Lukaku and Martinez and Conte wanting more players wanting strengthened how excited is he about the potential return of Gabi Gol? Is there <laughs> yes. Gabi Gol fever in Milan? <laughs> no, there isn't. No, <laughs> no. Which is kind of strange because you know, on the one hand, you know, this is a guy who maybe came to Europe um, too young, too raw, wasn't ready for it, has gone back to Brazil. He was ready for the nightclubs of Lisbon. Let me tell you. <laughs> yeah, well, that's the thing. <laughs> he had, you know, that spell on loan at Benfica. It didn't work out for him at all, and. 
you know, he's yeah, since become the most decisive player in South American football. I mean, what a performance um, in the Copa Libertadores final. What but a last he was five minutes. He was, performance. But, but he was terrible top, for 85 minutes. Top, top scorer in, the, in, uh, in Brazil, top scorer in the Copa Libertadores. And, you know, Conte's always complaining that he doesn't have options. Obviously, Alexis Sanchez won't be back until after the new year. And they uh, have been playing Esposito, the 17-year-old, uh, who came on again the other night. It was Marotta was asked about this before the game, and he says he will become an interplayer again. Um, but we think it's it's hard to imagine that he will come back into our plans as uh, for the first team. So I think they'll look to sell still. Hey everyone. I've been on the go recently. Phoenix, Kansas City, Chicago. If you're like me and have a home but aren't always at home, you have an Airbnb. Hosting your home or a spare room is a very practical side hustle. If you live in a big game town, you can Airbnb your place for fans to stay in. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. A lot of us spend our lives wishing we had more time. The question is, time for what? If I had an extra hour in the day, I might catch up on the latest football news, take a lovely walk with my dog Sammy, or maybe interview someone using an orange peel and a broken iPhone. You know, normal journalism stuff. But it's not always easy to prioritise our time, and that's where therapy can be an extra helping hand. Therapy can help you find what matters to you so you can do more of it. Untangle any unneeded worries and start to value your time for you. So if you're thinking of starting therapy, give BetterHelp a try. It's entirely online, designed to be convenient, flexible and suited to your schedule. Just fill out a brief questionnaire to get matched with a licensed therapist and switch therapists at any time for no additional charge. Learn to make time for what makes you happy with BetterHelp. Visit BetterHelp.com slash ramble today to get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash ramble. So Inter doing so well has pushed Borussia Dortmund out of the the top two. I mean, we, we've we've spoken about it, or I've I've spoken about it in um, the the Guardian Sport um, Bundesliga column at least. How uh, it was a difficult weekend last weekend for Dortmund. They were, <laughs> yeah, that's one way of putting it. That's isn't a way it? of putting it. Andy. Yeah, they were they were three nil down against. Um, doomed Paderborn at halftime at home at Westfalen on Friday night. They came back to draw three all, but still got booed off. And I think you can say quite rightly so. Um, then on Sunday, there was uh, the, the AGM where, uh, as some people listening to this will be aware, Hans-Joachim Vatska, the CEO of, of Dortmund, came out and said, Lucien, you still have our confidence, but we have two really big games coming up. Couldn't have made it much clearer. <laughs> the first of those, the second of those will, co- will come to later. I think we might have a little call for it in games of the week. But the first one was in Barcelona. And, you know, anyone can lose at Barcelona, Lars. But Dortmund going to Dortmund. 
Yeah, they were, and it's just not the not just the fact that they lost, but they lost in an enormously predictable way. I mean, by being uh, very very passive at the back, just conceding really cheap and sloppy goals, and just all the and just there's a real lack of fire in the whole performance. I thought, and it was just such. It Resignation, like, would you say? It was just all the things that you would... Not crit- from Lucien Favre. <laughs> Not yet. <laughs> it was just all the things that you... It was almost like a lowlights reel of the sort of latter half of the Lucien Favre reign. Like all the things that annoy you about w- w- where it's been going wrong for them were all on display against Barcelona. And and his big move of um, of not starting Jadon Sancho, I think it almost, it almost backfired a bit because you just look a bit silly when he comes on and he provides a real spark. And maybe he might argue that there was... Scored, hit the bar. Yeah, Favre might argue that there you know, technical decisions, you know, you you play Schultz and Hakimi on the flanks because you want more, like, defensive power against Barcelona away and maybe Sancho, it is true Sancho hasn't been at his best in recent weeks so maybe, you know, the, the frustration of being benched against Barcelona sparked something. Humiliation. Oh, yeah, all this More humiliation but on the thing is, Sancho. This is stuff yeah. that he might, he might say, Favre, but the the optics of it is that you look really daft. You've rested. You've rested your most potent attacking threat probably, and he comes on and looks so dangerous. But by that point, of course, the game's already lost. James, let's talk about Sancho. You kind of touched on it there. For uh, <laughs> people who are not aware of this, Jaden Sancho, um, his camp have leaked a few messages about what they perceive as his treatment in recent weeks, and none of it really plays that well for Lucien Favre in a time which is very difficult for him anyway. Yes, I mean, he. there was a story in The Athletic from David Ornstein which was saying that he felt humiliated for his treatment. Um, was it in the Classica? Mm. When yeah, when he, he got was... taken off after 36 minutes and then five afterwards, this was the big deal, said, well, he wasn't injured. Even though he'd injured his hamstring against Inter about four days before. Mm. Slightly strange. Yeah. Yeah, and, and wasn't saying he was a bad player, but was in, yeah, obviously, I think needed um, time to recover, needed to be, to, to get in better physical condition I think wasn't mm. I think it, and there was a sense that Favre uh, either not everything Favre had said had been relayed maybe it hadn't been communicated well enough I mean this is a guy who principally speaks French and doesn't speak fantastic German um, that's the thing isn't it he's, he's not the most adept communicator when he's in front of the media and I guess like with Unai Emery you wonder people begin to wonder what's he like in front of the players mm. and I think uh it's curious the the situation that that Favre finds himself in. I think after doing, you know, good job at Nice, good first season at uh, at Dortmund, um, always giving the impression that this is a team that can win the league title until people start saying they can win the league title, and then it invariably just falls apart. But you look at his body of work, and you look at the way after getting to a certain point it fell apart at Hertha. Of mm. course, he had them quite close to the title, unbelievably enough. Um, we'll come to her to later. Um, it, Borussia mentioned Gladbach. When it fell apart, it fell apart very, very quickly as well. Is he just a coach to get you to a certain point and not only what not what Dortmund need at the moment um, in terms of progressing, but not someone who can get them where they want to be results-wise? I think it's a question that they're going to be asking themselves at the moment, Andy, because um, you know after a, another... Uh, heavy defeat in the Classica after the Paderborn game. Yeah, I think they have to ask questions about whether he is, um, whether the players are responding to him. Um, not, not throughout all the kind of games, but it's 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 curious how 
Marco Royce was saying that they they only seem to start playing when they've got nothing to lose when they find themselves behind. That he's the spokesman rather, that Royce is the spokesman rather than Favre. Is that the issue? Or is that symptomatic of, of, of the issue? I mean, it, it, it was a, a criticism of him on the, in the spring when they were collapsying, when Zambarabayan were coming up like zombies behind them and sort of eating up their league. <laughs> they lead that, that Favre was too quiet, that he wasn't taking charge of the situation. And, you know, we can, we can over-egg the importance of managers shouting and jumping up and down like Antonio Conte but there are situations where that is called for and it's not something you ever see Lucien Favre do and maybe that's part of why they brought back Hummels in the summer they wanted a stronger voice in the dressing room lots of rumours that Favre wasn't a huge fan of that move which again speaks to a sort of a discord within the club right it's not ideal if your club brings back a huge character like Hummels puts him on a huge contract by Dortmund standards and he might not even be a guy who the manager is mega keen on having there like that's not a good situation and there's a sense that you mentioned Hummels and, and whether Favre was on board with that I mean, generally, I think there's there's a sense that when it comes to recruitment, Dortmund have put players for certain positions to him. You know, like, well, I think maybe we could do with a centre forward, you know, more <laughs> orthodox, natural centre forward. And Favre's like, well, I tend to play without strikers, so he'd probably just end up on the bench. And it's like, well, you've actually got to work with us here. We think that's a need. You know, you might be surprised. And, you know, again, you know, when it comes to plotting the way forward for Dortmund, uh, unfortunately for them, Jurgen Klinsmann's no one, no longer on the market in terms <laughs> of on. someone who, can, <laughs> who what, can, someone who can back up Paco Alcácer. <laughs> it's, it, it, it's interesting, Andy, because like if they were to pull the trigger and yeah, you know, do what Daniel Levy did with Pochettino, where did they go next in season? Well, you mentioned Pochettino, Peter Struger. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you mentioned Pochettino. It, 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 there, there's clearly some sort of financial issue if if they were to want to have a go at him. But it's something that has been mentioned this week about Dortmund, at least some parts of the board, considering would Pochettino come? Lars, if you were Pochettino, would you go? Well, I think there's a financial issue there because he has a... Yeah, for I sure. He's technically on gardening leave from Tottenham. I think they've they've gone a bit serial with it, Tottenham, mm. and they've, they're, they're, he's kid basically keep paying him. So for, for him to go to Dortmund, he would... It's like, it's like Luke when he's not on the pod. He just, he still gets paid for it, but you know he's that. That's he it. does. You know, yeah. Oh, you, you guys are going to have to do an Apple then and take a twenty five percent pay cut. I also don't wonder if footballing terms. I think he'd be a really interesting fit for Dortmund historically. You know, a, a high pressing team, and that's another area where they feel like there's a little bit of a discord between Favre and the club. Like Favre is more of a counter attacking guy. Yeah. His teams historically have been teams that sort of uh, make the the stats people uh, crazy because they sort of explode all the XG models because mm. of the way they counter attack and the chances they produce. Or any, anyway, so uh, and but I keep thinking. I mean, uh, our mutual friend uh, Raf Honingstein kind of mischievously suggested. Uh, Roger Schmidt on, on Twitter last night. I think that's what he was doing. He just wrote Roger Schmidt question mark. Yeah. I think that was quite... I, I responded with Harry Redknapp. Yeah, I, I thought about <laughs> responding with Peter Bosch, but I, you've yeah. got to draw the line somewhere. Uh, <laughs> but I think, yeah, Roger Schmidt is a guy who is out of work at the moment after finishing his work at uh, Beijing Guan in China, where I believe I believe he was sacked, but he was given a very heartfelt farewell by the fans. I think he was quite well-liked over there. It did right. well for Beijing. And uh, he's a guy who's... 
has a lot of interesting ideas, a sort of high-pressing guy, uh, been to Salzburg in the past, you know, there were good moments at Leverkusen before it unraveled. I think that would be a really interesting place for, for Dortmund to go, potentially. The Germans are terrific competitors. They never know when they're beaten. Real Madrid versus PSG. Uh, both qualified. It's pretty good though, wasn't it? I think in terms of quality, it felt like a Champions League knockout game mm. rather than, as you say, two teams that have already qualified for the, the knockout stages. Is that because we finally had a Champions League worthy Real Madrid? Well, you think of some of the Madrid performances we've seen in this competition so far. The one, the one against Club Bruges for example, really stands out at the Bernabeu. But it, um, it goes back longer than that, doesn't it? I mean, yeah. when the, when they got their way to the, the, the title in 2018, mm. they didn't play great the whole way, did they? I think what uh, was brilliant about this game was um, how everything was kind of one-two touch. It was, it was super quick. Um, I was watching some of the analysis afterwards um, and Fabio Capello was talking about it and he was saying, if you didn't watch this game, find a way to watch it because it was supersonic in terms of uh, the pace it was played at. And yeah, I think in some respects uh, it did have a, uh, a controversial VAR decision uh, with the, the, the Icardi penalty um, and Thibaut Courtois red card being rescinded for a push on Marcelo all the way back, which I thought was a very soft push. It's, I mean, it's not on. certainly not my idea of what VAR should be getting involved with. But uh, but I think Real Madrid, just, just moving on, let's move on from the VAR. Let's just have as little no. VAR as possible. No. I don't, I don't, Do you want to talk about this? I, I don't, I don't think we should. Uh, Icardi's, Icardi's listening to this thinking, it was the only thing I did during the game. Don't just <laughs> erase it. No, but I think VAR is... Uh, controversial people have opinions and they don't agree. I think a lot of people out there agree that ruling out goals or penalties in this case for sort of marginal niggly fouls early in the build-up is not what we want to see, right? No, that's true. Well, Lars, let's completely get away from that yes. then. And let's discuss Isco. Only two La Liga starts this season. First Champions League start in over a year. He changes the whole dynamic of the way that Real Madrid play and Sort of, we talked about their performances in the Champions League specifically. Takes them back, takes us back to the point in what 2017, where that they end up winning the final uh, against Juventus in Cardiff. In, in the home stretch, yeah. he's he's probably their best player. Mm. In terms of natural talent, there's no doubting him. Uh, but it is interesting to see Zidane starting in a game like this because it is. I know they're. You're qualified. It's PSG, you know, it's a, a lot of eyes will be on them. And, and so it is a big game and Zidane's not been, always been a huge fan of his. You know what sort of strikes you about Isco? He's 27 now. Yeah. Like, it's one of those things I didn't realise just uh, just prepping for the show. Like, do you have an issue? Do you have an issue with him because he's getting a beard to rival yours? No, I don't have an issue. I'm just thinking that he's a guy who we would have thought would have fulfilled more of his potential at this point and perhaps How much of that is down to him? You could even say that perhaps he should have left Real Madrid at some point yeah. because he's never really fully uh, made that place his own which is a weird thing to say given he's coming up on 200 games for the club but how he's much, been there since 2013 how much of that is is down to him James because you look at that he gets that opportunity they go back to this sort of 4-4-2 which they played in the early days of Zidane and Isco had to fight his way to get into that team he made a huge difference he's almost a defensive number 10 in a way because of the amount of work he puts in 
And all of a sudden, you, you talk about great players, not just being great themselves, but lifting up the level of the people around him. Benzema, you get a huge shift off him. Eden Hazard probably has his best game for, for Real Madrid. Tony Kroos looked absolutely fantastic mm. with the space um, that Isco was able to create. What sort of argument really is there for Isco not to be in the team after seeing a game like that? Well, because of his priorities, it's golf, Spain and Real Madrid in that order, I imagine. <laughs> no, but, uh, <laughs> no, but I I, 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 th- I find it curious with, with certain players who you know, have had... Well, in Isco's case, it wasn't even... Uh, one or two moments. It was sustained period of high performance over three or four months in the biggest games of yep. all and making your team better. Um, and yet there are players who have either been marginalized or have clearly been told that, yeah, I just don't really fancy you. And yeah, Bale falls into this category who have stayed at the club. And in some respects, you know, why why would you leave Real Madrid? It is the quote unquote biggest team in the world. Every summer, well, I say every summer, but particularly last summer, you probably look at it and think the team's, the club's going again. We can be competitive once more. They've won so much there that, yeah, they 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 end up staying because of that. Um, I just felt with 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 Zidane coming back in, Isco might be someone who would find his um, uh, his his Real Madrid career again, kind of sort of revitalized um, by that because. Of that older gen, old guard that we thought, yeah, these guys are dinosaurs now. You have to move on from them. He's one of the younger ones. As, as Lars said, I don't know whether Lars was saying he's 27 as though Lars now thinks 27's old, but I still believe 27's prime. No, and, he is prime. I'm just in my head. He's still this guy who's in his early 20s and hasn't quite mm. made it, uh, well, made it obviously, but quite shown what we know he has in him. I do wonder, trying to be the boring guy here, but his his role here. He he can only really play as number ten, right? I mean, tactically, if if you if they play four three three like they often do with the Casemiro cross Modric thing in midfield, does he play out wide like that? He doesn't really look comfortable out there. You you have to kind of play him like yeah, a number ten. It's a, it's a waste, and I, I, think I think that limits you a little bit. I think that might also be part of why he's really never nailed down the position at Real Madrid because tactically, uh, yeah. he does seem a little bit limited. I think when we t- when we're talking about that four three three and uh, Casemiro cross Modric. I think we've seen the end of that midfield three yeah. and, and Federico Valverde's performance said that a lot. But you know what? As Real Madrid <laughs> last, <laughs> managed to really boss it in midfield and Valverde and Isco were a huge part of that, where do we see PSG? Because they've made a lot of positive impressions in the first um, four games of, of the group. They look more of a balanced side. And funnily enough, in this game, maybe it's because Real Madrid really turned it on. That's at least part of it. They looked back to a point where they're carrying a lot of front players who don't do anything when they haven't got the ball. Which is a bit odd because they're they're not in the same way anymore. Mm. I mean, uh, Mbappe is not really. You wouldn't characterize him as a you know particularly lazy forward. He's not. He's mm. not Dirk Kout, but he's not. You know, and uh, and Di Maria, but he's not Dirk Kout. So they're, they're only really in terms. <laughs> I love of, it if Thomas Tuchel basically said. Uh, <laughs> Killian, we're going to have a video session today. 
this is what Capella did with Zlatan, but he showed him like Van Basten. Yeah. He said, I'm just going to give you a few DVDs and um, you're just going to watch Dirk Count for the, the rest of the Zlatan afternoon. Zlatan famously got bored and left mm. <laughs> after Capello left him alone. No, there are, there's only really Icardi there who's a guy who, you know, he'll just sort of hang around up there and wait for his chances. The, the midfield of sort of Gay, Marquinhos and Verratti is, is really well balanced, I mm. think. And, uh, I, I quite like PSG as a sort of a... You can never really call them dark horses for for money reasons, but for, as a team who can do do better and make themselves proud this season in the Champions League, that's who VAR's bad for, really, isn't it, Marco Verratti? So I had this Maverick section all planned out. Uh, unfortunately, I think for time purposes, we're going to have to drop Memphis in summary. It's all my early episode Daniel Vass chat that sort of <laughs> unhinged the whole thing. Can no, no, do... no, no. That really, that really uplifted it, right. I, I, I think. Um, but to summarise, uh, Memphis made captain of Leon, celebrated by uh, getting injured on international duty uh, with the Netherlands. Rudy Garcia quite upset with Ronald Koeman. That's about it. Let's get to the meat of what people really want out of the Maverick section, especially from you, Lars, Zlatan buying a stake in Hammerby. How has that been received in southern Sweden? It's a bit in of one an, particular it part is a of bit of an, it's worth putting in some background if we if we have the time because uh, Hammarby uh, is an interesting club they're one of the big Stockholm teams uh, they are considered by many to be what the, like the team of the people there well supported very, right very very passionate support yeah. and, you know, and, and, but but they've never really been as successful as their support would suggest that they should be and they, they've they've been on in the second tier quite recently uh, at which point they were getting like the thirty thousand in in the second tier in Sweden at one point. Which is pretty incredible. So, in terms of that, you have a huge. I mean, anecdotally, I mean, there are some who claim they have the biggest fan base in the Nordics, which is a hard thing to prove. But you know, mm. you get the idea what kind of club they are. And so, so if you're going to invest in Swedish football, they're an interesting place to start, right? Because you have this team with a lot of fans, a lot of culture, a lot of history. You've never quite done it at the highest level and uh, well, they have to an extent but you see what I'm saying they should be one of the top Nordic clubs and they're not so if you're Zlatan you're thinking I have a chance of going in here and the reason he has presumably is because the, the ownership uh, company that owns LA Galaxy AEG also owns 45% of Hammaby and have done for a very long time and he Zlatan has taken half of that ownership post uh, there's been some uh, completely unconfirmed and alleged speculation that this is uh, some form of compensation in a way for his work at, at LA Galaxy's Latin. You might remember right. he was on a very low basic salary in the first season. Mm. So maybe the, the, his uh, this opportunity has come up. As Stock options. Of, yeah, something like this, basically. Yeah. And so on on surface of it, you know, there are a lot of reasons why this is interesting for for Zlatan to get involved in football in this way off the pitch. But the, but but I've, I say a lot about what Hammerby is. Crucially, what thing one thing Hammerby isn't is Malmo. It is not Malmo, and, and Zlatan <laughs> is very much from Malmo. He, he is a, he is a child of Rosengard, and, and famously, there's this line: "You can take Rosenborg out of uh, Rosengard out of the guy, but you can't take the the, the guy." Out of, oh, sorry, I messed that up. But you can but, put the guy. I in completely Hammerby. inverted that saying. <laughs> yeah. This, yeah. <laughs> So, but, but the point is, he's meant he's very much from that place and associated with that place, and uh, and now th- he's going to th- be th- building and, teams and, to and take Malmo down. This is the thing, and there, I think gradually people have kind of given up on the idea of him coming back to play for Malmo. He's been mm. quite clear that he doesn't want to play in Sweden, that he doesn't want to do that. But the idea of him. A couple of weeks after a statue of him is unveiled outside of Malmo's <laughs> ground, he takes an almost twenty-five percent stake in a rival. Mm. 
It's just not a good look, right? It just Speaking isn't of good, good looks, how's the statue looking? Well, I believe you've got the an update there has, for there us. Has been fury. There, is a, there has been fury in Malmö. Uh, it, it was vandalised. There was some graffiti. And, and then late last night, someone attempted to set it on fire, uh, which, which is very difficult because it's metal. Uh, so it, it doesn't. it's not burning very well. Uh, but, but it, well also, Zlatan will surely just... This will be his new lion thing, right? It's like statues don't feel fire. <laughs> I suppose that. Yeah. That's what he should do. But there is even a Swedish uh, Twitter account that is following the program. Is the Zlatan statue still standing? And they're sort of <laughs> providing regular updates on whether it's still there. And and they're also putting out gifts of lions. So, I mean, that's 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 where Swedish football Twitter is at at the moment. It is one of the things that you look at and you imagine if there was a young Ibra knocking around Rosengård now, looking at this, the, the the football, the great footballing son of the city, investing in his rival from Stockholm. Mm. He would have so much contempt for that, and and there's this sense that Ibra is becoming something he his younger self would have despised. You know, after this, I feel quite sad that we won't be able to look to the Allsvenskan for 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 games of the week. Um, Let's look at what our games of the week are. I, I know you've got an interesting one, Lars. Yeah, Hertha Berlin taking on uh, Dortmund, which is interesting for all the Dortmund reasons we've spoken. You know, the yeah. heat very much on Lucien Favre at the moment. And he's being welcomed by Jürgen Klinsmann. Yeah, this is... taking this, charge of, of Hertha Berlin. This is interesting. Now, Ante Chovic was clearly going to go after they were belted 4-0 at Augsburg last weekend. I mean, Which is people, a sackable offence yeah, in so many different ways. You just don't lose 4-0 at Augsburg. No, it can't and, be done. And Augsburg was showboating so much. They put up something nice. on their Twitter account when it was at 3-0. You might be aware that the Hertha BSC um, badge is like a flag. It's a blue and white flag with Hertha BSC written on it. And um, they put up something at 3-0, the Augsburg uh, social media account, saying, I uh, hope you don't mind, we've redesigned your flag. And they're basically taking the colours out of it, so it was a white flag. <laughs> nice. Eh? I, is- I feel sorry for Chovic because he's a guy, he's a, he's a real Hertha guy. Yeah. He's been involved with the club for, for 20 years. Yeah. But it's not like they've taken a blind stab in the dark at just a name because Jürgen Klinsmann has been co-opted onto the board a while ago. He's been going to all the games he clearly knows the players and the club. He knows the ambitions of the investors, but he hasn't been, been a coach or a successful club coach for quite a long Crucially, time. Crucially, has he ever been a successful club coach? No, that, that's, that a, that's a very good point. Uh, but I guess it's interesting that he's brought on uh, brought on Nuri, ex Werder Bremen uh, head coach, as as a number two. That he's bringing some good uh, as a number one. <laughs> yeah, but but I mean, yeah, that is the thing. Klinsman is not a coach; he's a guru. Yeah, and this is what, and then this is what I'm getting at. I think there is something there in the sense that Hertha Berlin seems like a club that's in need of a reboot, right? Yes. Even when they were sort of moderately successful under Paul Dardai, they were a tremendously attritional side and not a lot of fun to you watch. You can say boring; it's a safe space. Yeah, and not the kind of team that will, uh, you know, get the Berlin masses uh, to the stadium. And it, they're a team that's been quite dull for a really long time. And if there's anyone who could use the sort of blue sky California thinking to come in and really sort of change it up and make it exciting and interesting, it's them. But you just wonder, can it work? Can it be successful? Well, we'll start to find out this weekend. I suppose the other good thing about the appoint of Nuri, he really knows how to make a tracksuit look good, which is is not easy. And I think when you're trying to build a brand, especially in a big city, that's important. You're not going for a big city derby, but you're going for a derby of sorts, James, for your game of the week. Oh, it's definitely a derby. It's the first one for 13 years. 
And I, I can tell you now, the forces have ordered the police uh, probably unhappy that this is being restored. It's the Lombard Derby. It's Atalanta against Brescia in Brescia. And uh, I tell you what, this is a, well, this is so fiery, it's crazy. In the 90s, right. we uh, had pitch battles actually on the pitch between uh, between ultras as uh, wow. as I think Gans had scored and uh, I think it was the was it the Brescia Ultras then just went and stole one of the flags from under the Atalanta end and then Wow, that's a declaration of war. It got crazy. But um yeah, I mean this has been some of the most iconic moments in in this rivalry include Carlo Mazzone, the Brescia manager, um getting sick and tired of being called a uh, a sh- Roman Um, and uh, and then kind of losing his mind during the game uh, rather than focusing on his team coming back um, from being 3-1 down he was in the slanging match with the uh, Atalanta Ultras and uh, basically threatened that if they got it back to 3-3 he would I'm coming I'm coming guys I'm coming and uh, and they did equalise in the last minute and Carlo Mazzoni basically ran over to the Atalanta, uh, Atalanta end and just wanted to, he said he wanted to settle this mano a mano um, in wow. a rustic fashion, like an old-fashioned duel. But unfortunately, there was a net and Pierluigi Colina stopping him from doing that. Briefly and more seriously, James, I think listeners will want to know where Mario Balotelli's at. Dropped from the game against Roma mm. um, by a new coach Fabio Grosso for not pulling his weight in training. And then afterwards... Well, Massimo Cellino, the president of um, Brescia, some of you may be aware of his finest work um, at Leeds and at, uh, at Calgary. Mm. Decided he was going to make a joke of it all, except his joke was racist. <laughs> and this is the issue: you is laugh that how can Mario Balotelli think his club is going to take the racist abuse that he is he suffers seriously when mm. it appears that his president won't even take it seriously? And yes, you know Balotelli has been called out by his new coach Fabio Grosso. Um, he was. Uh, substituted at half-time in Grosso's first game against Torino. Um, and then he was uh, essentially told that he wasn't putting enough effort in it training. So he was basically told to just go home after a, a training session or during a training session. Um, and that's why Chilino was asked about this. Um, but, you know, given his reaction, so this racist joke, given the communique put out by the ultras, the Brescia ultras, which was saying solidarity with Verona's ultras and the ultra movement in general. Oh, um, you you wonder if this homecoming for, for, for Balotelli and you, you can kind of sympathise, well, not only sympathise with him and, and, and the situation he finds himself in, but also the view which was taken by his agent, Mina Ryla, for a long time, which is just like, this is why he we, we, we wanted him to play anywhere but Italy mm. because um, it is his home. He is Italian but the abuse and um, the kind of victimization that he suffers is intolerable. Um, and it's a shame because in some respects, this game, Brescia Atalanta, I think is made for Balotelli, mm. um, you know, who so often steals the show in, 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 in the big games, the big moments. You think the Manchester derby, you think of some of the performances he put in for Inter or Milan in the in the Milan derbies and this is the one that nice should, should mean the most for, most to him and we don't know if he's going to play there's already talk that come January he'll be moving on maybe to MLS maybe mm. to Flamengo where he was linked with in the summer if Gabby Gold comes back um, but we'll have to see it's just um, 
Yeah, it's it's he's been treated despicably, um, I would say, and he deserves a lot better. For my game of the week, I will be choosing the big Sunday night one between Atletico and Barcelona, which I would go as far as to say might not be that high scoring. Of course, Atletico creating a lot of chances. There are, I guess, you're probably your XG kings at the moment, uh, Lars, but they're missing a lot of those chances. Of course, all the pressure is on uh, Alvaro Morata at the moment um, because Diego Costa's uh, got this injury. Um, Morata is managing to miss a lot of these chances, like that big one he missed at Juventus in the oh, week after word. missing a stack against Granada last weekend. There's a lot of pressure on him, isn't it, James? Deary me. I mean, if he could learn to shoot with his left foot, it would help. This was a Stakhanov production.